Olympic marathon trials champ Alephine Tulamuk. Some things sound so good themselves, they don't need anything else. Special 40-minute podcast with Alephine and LRC's Jonathan Galt. The regular Let's Run.com track talk podcast will be back later in the week with all the banter. We now welcome on Alephine Tulamuk. She is the 2020 U.S. Olympic trials marathon champion. It's been... Almost exactly one week since your victory. It's about 5 p.m. right now, Eastern time on Saturday. This time last week, I think you're either in a press conference or celebrating. First of all, congratulations, Alphine. And second of all, how have you spent the last seven days? Thank you. And um, uh, it's been uh, it's been a whirlwind, really, especially the past couple of days. Um, I spent that day just, you know, taking pictures and, um, you know, drug testing and celebrating later with my teammates and uh, my, um, you know, like Hoka One One and my Northern Arizona teammates and really fans. Um, and so and then the next day I spent the morning uh, being at the start line of the public um, Atlanta Marathon, half marathon and the 5K. And then I went, uh, I had a TV interview and then I just... Um, went to meet and greet people at the Olympic ring. So, and then I traveled home. Then the first couple of days I spent in Flagstaff and then now I'm in New Mexico, uh, where my partner lives. And I basically have been uh, doing podcasts, like two or so podcasts a day. So seriously, I think I've spent more time on the phone or talking to someone these last seven days than I have in a long time. All right. What is the most repeated or most annoying question you've been asked so I know not to ask it <laughs> I can't say it's annoying or anything but I think one of the questions that people have been wanting or dying to know is what was going through my mind when we made that move and why did I do it and was I worried and yeah that was I think that's the question that people have been dying to know I think anyone who wants to know what's going through your mind needs to read the Twitter thread you posted because it was incredible. And I wish athletes would do this after every major marathon because you learn a lot of really cool stuff in there. So I, I really appreciate that. I think a lot of your fans did as well. I, I'm somebody who talks a lot and I am not a writer and uh, I wanted to tell people what was going on, but really I couldn't figure out any other way to do this except, you know, to just, do play-by-play, and this was the first time that I done it. I seen, I saw Emma Bates actually did something similar to that after Chicago Marathon, and I thought it was brilliant, and so I kind of stole some of our ideas, borrowed some of our ideas. I think I borrowed some of our ideas. Yeah, well, it's a great idea, and uh, I thought it was really, really cool to see all your thoughts. Oh, before we get into the race itself, I'm curious, how do you celebrate? When you win the Olympic Trials Marathon, what does your post-race celebration look like in terms of, you know, food? drinks, all that stuff. <laughs> so it was interesting that day because of how late uh, the race itself was and how many gels I consumed. By the way, I consumed eight gels during the race uh, with like double uh, shots of espresso. And I had um, some electrolytes, uh, Gatorade electrolytes going with that. And by the time I finished the race, I did not want to eat anything. Like everything just didn't taste good or didn't sound like a good idea. And then we had a medal ceremony, and they gave us, I believe, um, a bottle of whiskey each. And, of course, naturally, you know, we had a shot with my teammates and, um, you know, uh, just our team. And I think I had one shot, maybe two shots. And a few minutes later, I was uh, <laughs> I was a little tipsy. <laughs> and, yeah, 
and I mean, because first of all, I don't usually drink, and then when I do, it's just a glass of wine here and there, and that's after like you've eaten something. And so that day, I just didn't feel like eating anything, and so that evening, I ended up having, um, I think, some uh, some pasta. And the next couple of days, really, I didn't feel like eating much. And then the the the, the first real meal that I had was a chipotle burrito. Usually, after my races, after my big races. You know, I eat like a like a burger or something like you know good and rich, but I haven't really had a chance to do that. And most of the time, when like um, when I come back from a marathon and I have a break, I make like pecan pie and I'll eat pecan pie for lunch, for breakfast, and for dinner. I haven't had a chance to do that yet for a good reason. Number one, I have been crocheting a lot because after the race, my uh, my Etsy shop sold out and. Um, I didn't have a lot of inventory, so now I really have to catch up. I have a lot of catching up to do. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, you got a little time to recover now, I guess, before you get back to training for the Olympics. Yeah, um, definitely. Uh, what I'm curious about, you mentioned the gels that you had, and I noticed you, you know, you could see on the broadcast you were ripping off off the tops with your teeth, and, it, you know, I was curious, where do you keep them in the race? Are you picking them up on the course, or are you, you grabbing them, you know, where, where do you where do you get those? I had it taped on uh, my bottle, you know, like from the second fluid station, I had a gel taped on uh, each of those, and then the last two stations, I had two gels taped on them, so that whenever I grabbed my bottle at mile eighteen, I took one gel and uh, you know and, and and they electrolyzed, and I threw away my bottle and I stashed the, the other gel in my bra to use it later whenever I felt like I needed a boost, and uh, I also stashed another gel at mile twenty two which was the last fluid, uh, like elite fluid stations. And I probably like took the last one of that, um, maybe right around mile 25 or a little bit past 25. Mm-hmm. And, and this is something that I've done for the last three marathons because before this, uh, my first three marathons, I really like bonked very badly at the last part of the race. And I figured that I needed more, um, more calories. And so, I decided that I was just going to do my own thing, that I wasn't going to listen to what the nutritionists have to say, you know, like how much you need. And so I, like the last two marathons, I stashed uh, two gels on the last two uh, fluid stations and I will hold on to one until I'm close to the next one and then I will throw it away and then grab the other two and then hold on to one like for as long as I can. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it worked very well for me so far. So. Yeah, well, I, yeah, I don't think anyone can argue with the outcome uh, last weekend. Um, <laughs> so I want to go back to before the race, a decision you made last fall was to run New York. And you you had a very short buildup because you were coming off a stress fracture. And, mm-hmm. you know, you ran, you ran okay, but you got beat by two Americans. You were 12th overall, 228. A lot of people in your situation who are coming off an injury, who have the trials coming up, wouldn't run that marathon. Why Why did you run it, and why do you think that was the right decision for you? I mean, um, I planned on running New York at the beginning of the year. Um, actually, I planned on running New York back in after the 2017 marathon because I ran it, and even though I fell apart really badly, I felt like I learned a very... Uh, I learned some really good lessons from it, and I wanted to run it again. And so in 2018, I was scheduled to run it, and I was injured, so I couldn't run it. In 2019, I got injured over the summer, and I had already been scheduled to run the race. Um, and so I, we just we talked about, um, you know, when the field was announced, my name was not announced uh, for obvious reasons that, you know, I may not be able to make it to the start line. 
But then once I started, uh, you know, once my injury healed and I started training and, and you know, like things got better and um, my fitness came, like, came back really fast without why not. I mean, like, that was my fifth marathon and I felt like I needed every marathon that I could get a chance to run because I was, I'm still learning how to race a marathon and I felt like I hadn't figured it out. And one marathon under my belt before the trials made a lot more sense to me and I was beginning to feel really fit. And um, I know that people look at my results in New York and think it was like, it wasn't very good. But to me, I think up until that point, that was the best marathon that I had run because even though I ran a 226 in Rotterdam, I, uh, Ben Bruce pissed me through my thing, the whole thing. And so I felt like New York was when I really mastered how to run the marathon. I mastered how to, um, you know, use my fuel wall, you know, like I mentioned, the two gels. And I felt like it was the marathon that I really did well. And I think that set me up for uh, the trials, really, because I believed uh, in myself. And I finally felt like I could run 26 miles comfortably. And that set me up. Uh, really well for the trials because I don't know if I hadn't run New York, I probably wouldn't have been as confident at the trials as I was. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then let's let's go, you know, to trials week. I was listening to you on another podcast, the the Running Rivals podcast with some of your NAZ Elite teammates, and yeah, I noticed you were talking about some of the pre-race previews, and not many of them were picking you to win the trial to make the team, let alone win the trials. How many like? How much thought do you give those things? Do you not care what they say? Do you get upset when you see, you know, people in the media not picking you to make the team? And I think I was one of them. I didn't pick you to make the team. So what do you think when you read that stuff? I cannot believe I'm talking to you right now. (laughs) (laughs) No, I think for me, um, every time um, I have a challenge, if somebody challenges me to something, if I make a decision that I think is best for me and somebody challenges me, says, you're making the wrong decision, I usually end up using that as a motivation. I usually end up using that to fire me up and I will always prove people wrong. And I've done that over and over. And so when I saw that, when I saw that people didn't have confidence in me that I could make the team, guess what? While everyone else was getting the spotlight and getting all the pressure, I I was at home taking my time and, and visualizing how I was going to attack that race and prove to everyone else that didn't vote for me that I was ready and that, that I was going to perform, that I didn't, not everybody had to know that. And my teammates definitely knew that because they had seen me train. And I mean, some of what, I don't remember what podcast I listened to and one of the explanations as to why people didn't think that um, I was strong enough or that I was fit enough was they will look at some of the videos of uh, me and my teammates uh, training, and then they will see, uh, say, a picture I was behind. But what they don't know is that that picture was probably uh, in the beginning of the workout or in the middle of the workout. I don't think I posted a lot of that. And I wouldn't do that, like, say, if I had a workout where, like, I ran with my teammates and I pulled away, I felt super strong, and I pulled away. You know, out of respect for my teammates, I will never post something like that, you know, because we did this together. And there were times where I didn't feel great. And so people just took what they saw without really talking to me and knowing what was going on. And they just assumed that, oh, she was always behind and uh, she wasn't the aggressor. Therefore, she wasn't ready. But for me, I mean, I knew I believed in my training and 
this was the best blog training blog that I had, and so I took a lot of confidence in that. And I took every uh, every person that said I could make the team. I took that and I used it as um you know as a motivation, and it served me very well. All right. Well, I'm officially giving myself credit for helping you make the team now because I helped motivate <laughs> you. Uh, oh my gosh. That's pretty. That's crazy though. That I can't believe there's anyone out there who would base who they think is going to make the team on like Instagram photos or like photos. For, that that to me is wild that anyone would make that prediction. Just saying, oh, she was like behind from, at one point in the workout. That's crazy. And then I mean, I, again, I mean, my credentials don't help either. I mean, I've only ran at two twenty six, and we have people who ran two twenty. We had a lot of people who ran between 225 and, you know, 220, and there were, there were more than three people, and therefore, I mean, naturally, you will pick them, especially knowing that, you know, they were, that most of their training had gone well, and so, you know, in the at the end, I don't really blame anyone, because that's why we have predictions. You just go off of what you know or what you've had, and, you know, I hadn't done much, and so, you know, I, if I was in the same situation, I probably would have done the same thing. Yeah. So what was different? What was what allowed you? Because this was clearly the best marathon you've ever run. What allowed you to break through and reach that new level of performance at the distance? I think uh, patience. Um, when I was winning uh, my U.S. championships uh, titles, um, those races, most of them, I was able to break away. Um, you know, early on, and the races that I have lost at the races that I've done the same thing, you know, like tried to break away with the, from the field and fell apart really badly. And I just wasn't patient, but I think that I have learned that the marathon takes patience. I didn't have to do the work until I absolutely have to do it. And um, also I think I, um, I just was very attentive, especially on that last loop to any move that anyone made, because if I hadn't paid attention to Molly Seidel, who actually is the one who, um, made the move, if I hadn't paid attention to her and was right on her heels, I don't think we would have made the move because when I followed her, we broke away. We, we just had like, you know, like maybe like a couple of steps. Uh, we were a couple of steps ahead of Sally and the rest of the pack uh, had like separated from Sally. And when I saw that, you know, I just told Molly, I said, let's go, Molly, you know, because I realized that this was the time for us to take advantage of it. And we, I think we really cranked down that mile and we ran a 5.17 and that really like separated us from the rest of the field. And so I think it's just patience and taking like paying attention and taking advantage advantage of every opportunity as long as it's not too soon in the race. I mean, that was like about six or so miles in, which is about right. Mm-hmm. And I also think that I'm a very good, uh, I do well on hard courses and Atlanta stuff me very well Um I, I trained in Flagstaff in, at 7,000 feet. I ran a lot of, uh, you know, hard and hilly workouts. And we've done – our training, too, honestly, is um, structured in a way that it really prepares you for this kind of stuff. Like, we did a 26-mile long run where, you know, like, you push uh, – you run marathon effort for six miles uh, towards the end. We did a 15-mile steady state that had, uh, you know, 7,000 feet – I think we were very prepared uh, for the course and uh, for the distance too. Mm-hmm. Well, I was going to ask one of your workouts. You mentioned again. This is from the Running Rivals podcast. You sort of mentioned there was a 15 mile by mile workout in January, I think, and you said something about an accident. What What exactly happened in that workout? Do you remember? Um, you're talking about the, 
the, are you talking about the accident itself? Yeah, yeah I, I didn't oh, know what you meant by that. I had, I got into a car accident on my way to the workout. Oh, okay. So, yeah, I was driving into the workout and, of course, running late as usual. <laughs> and um, I got to a stoplight and uh, it was yellow on my end. And I was just, you know, I had the right of way. I was going straight and a girl was turning and then we just ha- we had a head-on collision. It wasn't bad. I mean, my car was uh, dented and hurt a little bit. But, you know, other than that, we, there was no, like, we didn't have any injuries. And, of course, we had to wait for the police to come and take a report and all that. And by the time I head out to go do the workout, I mean, it was late and the, la- the workout was the last thing on my mind because I was just thinking that it could have been worse than that. You know, it could have been a worse collision if I had, you know, waited for a little bit, like a second uh, longer, I would have hit that girl right, you know, like I would have hit like right by her drivers, uh, or, like through the drivers and that, that would have been bad. And this, it was just a head-on collision. None of us was uh, impacted. It was just the cars. And so, yeah. Wow. So that was that was was that tough to do the workout after that, and I mean everyone was okay. You said right? Yeah. Yes, yeah, we we were both okay. There was I. Uh, she was the only one in the car, and I was the only one in my car, and we were both okay. But you know, like when you when something like that happens to you, it really shakes you to the core. You know, like mm-hmm. it's just that it like I didn't see this car turning, and it like. It was not there until it was there. And so, I mean, it definitely shook me to the core. And I, you know, at that point, the workout wasn't the important thing in my mind. And I remember even, like, in fact, I wanted to ask my coach to be like, can I just not do the workout today? Like, and I don't think I would have done that workout if he had said yes. Because I told him, I said, you guys can just go and leave because we had to drive for about an hour to the place where we were doing our workout. And they decided to wait on me anyway. And so that definitely helped because... Then they waited on me. I as soon as I was done with the police, and then I went and we went and did the workout. But by that point, I had lost, you know, like the uh, the interest of wanting to do the workout, and so that was my, one of my hardest workouts. Yeah, no, I'm sure it's a, a lot of stress before a hard session like that. Yeah. Um, so I'm curious. I, I so one of the things I thought was interesting in the Twitter thread you had about the race was that Meb came to your room the night before. And you said he he gave you some advice. What advice did he give you? <laughs> I believe he told me to be patient. He also told me to stretch in the morning because it was going to be cold, that I should stretch very well so that when I go out, I'm already warmed up well. He also told me that, uh, you know, whenever we were at like a water station and it wasn't too windy, that I should get out of the way and, you know, like try to strike, you know, more to like let my legs, because you now if you're running inside a pack and you know, you just like the pace is not that fast, you know, like your body could tighten up and you could forget to run, like, you know, running fast. So he told me that if you are at a water station, you know, try to stride out and like maybe, you know, get yourself a chance not to be tripped, I believe. And, um, you know, just stride out to, just to get ready for the move that will be made later. And then he told me that, I I mean, he didn't say this in so many words, but he asked me um, how many people were uh, were thinking that I could win the race. And I said, probably not that very many. And then he said, then use that to your advantage, you know. And I thought that was really cool that Nate came up to my room. And, of course, I asked him, um, (laughs) I actually asked him uh, how he did, um, you know, like during his career, how he handled all of that. 
And then I asked him about the, uh, I believe, was it 2008 Olympic trials when he didn't make the team? Yeah. Um, how he was very, very fit and he came into the race and he knew that he was going to make the team, that he was going to win. And he didn't win. And uh, I mean, he didn't even make the team. And I remember one of the questions I asked, I was like, do you think that was from you being too cocky, too confident of a trend? And he, I, I believe his answer was, a little bit of both, you know, and that was really cool because I'm like, I am just, I'm what somebody who talks a lot. I'm somebody who likes to ask questions. And if I can help it, I want to learn from other people's mistakes so that I don't actually have to make that mistake to learn from. I would love to learn from other people's mistakes and so not do the same thing. Wow. That's, that's a, yeah, he's, he's a legend and, you know, he's made a lot of those Olympic teams. So definitely a guy worth listening to. Oh, definitely. I mean, like, yeah, for somebody like that to choose me to come uh, give a last-minute advice, I mean, I thought that was the coolest thing ever. And in the past, really, I declared, I think about three or so years ago, that I wanted to be a female version of MAP. I don't know what I was thinking, uh, but, yeah, I declared that to everyone. And so we shall see. <laughs> yeah, well, you got you made the Olympic team. You won the Olympic trials. You're doing a pretty good job of following his footsteps so far. Well, now I need a I, I need a medal at the Olympics to uh, to get even closer to, you know, how that guy how accomplished that guy is. I mean, I'm I'm never probably going to be as close as him, but you know what? As long as I'm doing everything within my powers to uh, do well and represent my country well, that's all I can ask of uh, mm-hmm. of myself. So, also in your Twitter thread, you know, it seemed like you had a lot of worries from you weren't very hungry the day before the race. There was some pain in your quad, in your shin, in your hip. How much of that is, was genuine and how much of it was just sort of <laughs> pre-race nerves? Do you usually panic like that before races? No, actually, I'm not usually somebody who panics, which is why I don't think it was panic. I think it was real. I believe it was real, especially my quad. That was real um, because it started like, you know, early on uh, Friday morning, I believe, and it persisted through Saturday. And even during the race, I was feeling it. And even after the race, a couple of days after the race, I still felt it. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, I think my hip might have been uh, just because my quad wasn't feeling well and my shin was also tight. And usually, I mean, I would get uh, stuff with my shin like that, uh, but then I would massage it and the next morning would be gone. This was not the case on this uh, for this one. But yeah, I think it was just uh, mostly, um, it was real half of it was real, half of it was probably just uh, pre-race jittery just because like this was the big, like my biggest uh, stage of like my marathon in Korea so far and there was so much at stake that I think my body might have been preparing me for this mentally and physically I guess. Okay, yeah. I've, yeah. I've never run an Olympic trial so I wouldn't know what the nerves would be like but I can imagine the tough. <laughs> I don't think, yeah, I don't think it has to be an Olympic trial. I think it just has to be the race that you really believe that this is a like a big risk for you and you will definitely feel the same way because honestly, I don't think that you have to run in the Olympic trials to feel what elite athletes feel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think any, anyone who is running a big race, a race that they consider to be their biggest race will feel exactly the same way. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure a lot of our listeners can relate because, uh, yeah, I mean, some, some people, it might be Boston, it might be a state meet, some, you know, depends what level yeah. you're at, but that makes sense. So yeah. one of the things you also said is you took a shower before the race. Is that a routine? I feel like most people, 
don't shower because they know they're immediately going to get sweaty. Do you shower before every race, or was this just because it was a 12 p.m. start? I always shower before a race for some reason. And actually, now that I think about it, maybe I'm superstitious about this. I always shower before a race because it makes me feel... Um, I, I think the hot shower just makes me feel like I'm warmed up and I feel good. And seriously, every time I am in the shower, I'm like, I hope the next time I step, I step into this shower, I will be very happy and I will have accomplished my goal. So I guess I am superstitious now that I think about it, but I always take a shower, yeah, before a race. Okay. Um, and then the start of the race, there's this you know, weird little full start and some of the women have to get called back. And you didn't look like you moved a muscle on that start line. Like, were you just totally locked in or are you you just waiting for the gun? What's going through your mind in that moment? I mean, I listened to uh, uh, what they were telling us, uh, you know, that there will be a horn and I didn't hear a horn. So all I think Meb was like runners ready and then, you know, like people just took off. And so like, I guess for me, like I was just waiting for the horn. And I mean, I've ran so many road races that, I've never false started and I've never actually seen a false start in a road race. So I thought that was really interesting. And I remember like uh, when I watched the replays, I think it was Daisy and someone else like looking to, you know, to the right, to the, um, to the people who are like kind of false started and probably wondering, wow, how did I, I would love to hear, you know, like what their reaction was, was or what they were thinking when that happened. Cause I, I, I that, like the replay shows that um they, they definitely looked on the right like who is that who is that false starting and I'm like sister it's not me. <laughs> <laughs> so I think a lot of people that the the first I would say 19 miles of that race it didn't seem like a lot happened from the outside observer it was just a it sort of got into a big pack and it was pretty much all of the contenders you thought would be there maybe minus Jordan Hussey. Was mm-hmm. there anything notable that you think happened, you know, to that point, or was it pretty much just smooth sailing for you? I think it was just a smooth sailing for me. Like, I don't honestly think that I felt any pain or uh, any discomfort up until uh, mile 25, 26 of that was because even as I look back, I think, like, my training, I was very, very prepared, and I was very strong, and I probably could have, I mean, I I don't know what I could have done if the race would have been a little faster, but like, it was just smooth sailing for me, and up until uh, the last uh, big mile of uh, a big hill of that race, and that was also when I was uh, putting myself in a position to win. I was trying to run away from Molly Seidel, and I think I was working a lot harder than I had in the past. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think one of the things you said about what helped you grind through those last couple of miles when it got hard is you started working with a, a performance psychologist. And one of the things you mentioned was that they used hypnotism on you and I'm, and that you were sort of skeptical initially, but it seemed to work. I'm wondering what exactly do they hypnotize you to do in these sessions? You know, um, I think that something that um, I have felt over the years as a professional athlete is when I first came here, right, like I, um, I mean, I had, um, I come from a very big family. My parents are not necessarily poor, but they don't really have like paying jobs, you know, like they just are, they're farmers and they do have a lot of land. I mean, my dad has a, a lot of land. My mom has her own, like a lot of land for, for her and her kids. And we have a lot of animals. So in the standards of my community, we are not poor. Now, in the, in the standards of Americans, you're just, you know, like a farmer, and so you don't have any income coming in. But, like, you know, um, 
I came here very, very hungry. You know, like I never gave up on a race. I fought until the last minute. And I think as time has gone by, you know, and I have done, you know, okay for myself, I felt like I had lost that um, uh, that fight. I had lost the ability to dig deeper. And I felt like I was like sinking in or like, uh, you know, more and more. And so one of the things that Shannon and I uh, did when we were uh, before the hypnosis was she reminded me, like I had to remind myself of where I came from a place where people work very, very hard. Just Meg and Smith. I mean, a lot of uh, athletes that I grew up with, you know, like, or even like when I go home right now, there are people who are training very, very hard without even having an opportunity to raise offices, without having any risk. There are people who are training very hard, but they can't even afford to register for a race. And here I am. I have all the opportunities that I need and I'm complaining, and I am not even, like, you know, serious enough, and I'm not able to dig deep enough. So uh, during the hypnosis, you know, we were we were able to reach that side of me, you know, that strength that I used to have, and that remind of, you know, what it, what life was like and what people are going through today over there, and then bring myself to now, now that I have an opportunity. This is an opportunity for me to succeed and so that I can use that success, that platform that I get from that success to inspire people here and to inspire people back home. And really, I think during the hypnosis, you know, we we were able to uh, bring that out and also like we were able to do a lot of visualization during it. And honestly, I think by the time I was done with my session, the last session, I felt like that I do want the race. I felt like I would have, like that I already won the race and uh I was super excited, but I had to remind myself that I already had won it in my mind, but I actually had to do it in reality. And so, yeah. So what, is, what like, specific instructions is she giving you, though, when she's sort of putting you in a state of hypnosis? What is she telling you? <laughs> Basically, I mean, just... I mean, I was relaxed to begin with. I was laying down and closed my eyes and... Really, I think it's just like a big visualization and she's just a big guided visualization. Her, you know, like bringing me from one place to another and, um, you know, me like being very calm and really following what she's saying and, and really like visualizing and putting myself in that situation and, and, and forgetting about everything else that is happening around me and imagining that I am in the race. And wow. it was just incredible. Yeah. Yeah. And so you're look are you looking back and thinking about those moments and those sessions when you're out there battling it out with Seidel for the win? Now, um, you know, I honestly don't think that I was able to access that much because the reason one of the reasons why I uh I went um and talked to the psychologist was usually when I have a when I'm like I'm struggling in a race, I tend to um uh, lose um uh, my wife i tend to lose um like i tend to forget why i am doing it and instead i will focus on the pain that i'm going through like say like for example in houston um as soon as um the, you know we started speeding up the last mile because i had been running with molly Hadle and katie uh moin for a while but then on that last mile we started picking up the pace and i remember my back tightening up and i think i focused on the tightness of on my back and I completely forgot about uh 
finishing the race and, you know, like running a first time. And so I blacked out. I really completely forgot about what was going on in front of me or the end goal. And so the, the, what Shannon, uh, the psychologist, was able to help me with was I needed to stay present. And I also noticed that in the other races that I've done well, I stayed present until the finish line. And so, like, um, I think the only time that I was able to use that strength and, um, you know, the skill that I had developed was during that last mile when it was very hard and I was trying to run away from Mali. It would have been easy for me to start focusing on the fact that that mind was hard. You know, I was, I was feeling it for sure. And I, I think that was the time for the first time that I, I was grimacing and I could probably show signs of uh, discomfort. And I really was able to remind myself to stay present. And so I'll tell myself, you know, like, you know, mindfulness, I'll think, mindfulness, I'll think. So I try to remind myself that, but I never really did get to use it much just because I was never put in a situation where I was in a lot of discomfort for a very long time. Yeah, I mean, that's what I noticed. I was talking to your coach, Ben Rosario, and just watching the – I watched the race broadcast back a couple of days ago, and you didn't look – you look strong and powerful the entire way. Even coming down the finish, like, after dropping Molly, the whole way you just looked like you never really broke form and it was strong and powerful. Is that kind of how you felt? Yes. I think I was very, very prepared for this, but I also was not, like, overcooked. You know, yes. like – my training was just right, and uh, so I was uh, I was just feeling good. Uh, my fitness was probably at the peak, and everything just came together nicely that day for me. Looking ahead, what do you have a goal yet for the Olympics? Absolutely, yes. I want to go to the Olympics. I want to represent my country, uh, USA, very, very well, which means even though, you know, like this is my first time going to the Olympics and it's a very big deal and, you know, there will be some really, really good runners, I think, uh, for the Kenyan team right now. Um, the world record holder uh, is chosen to represent Kenya. The conditions in Sapporo are not going to be very favorable, uh, at least not for fast race anyway, because I think it's going to be hot and humid. I think I'm just excited about using those conditions and the fact that I'm probably not going to be talked about a lot as you know somebody who can uh make medal so my goal will be to use the um underdog again and you know be fired up you know from anything that i could use to hopefully come home with a medal like i really truly do believe that my best marathons are ahead of me and if that is true then Tokyo could as well be my best marathon so far, and that could mean that I could come home with a medal. I won't be surprised if I came home with a medal, and that will make me very, very happy. That will make me, I don't know, it will just, it will be really nice to bring a medal, you know, to my country or for my mm -hmm. country, you know, and who knows, maybe we'll even bring more than one medal, you know, even better. Yeah, so, yeah, I'm excited about that, and that's definitely my goal now, to go to Tokyo and or Sapporo, and uh, do my best and hopefully come home with a medal. Well, yeah, you, you said if you wanted to emulate Meb, that's the, that's the strategy. Though, cause exactly. He was, not, he was not a medal favorite when he medaled in Athens, but he he also didn't win the trials. I think he probably would might have been even in a longer shot than you because you at least won the trials, and, you know, the U.S. has developed into a marathon power now, so you might have a bigger chance than he did back then. Yeah, don't tell everybody that, though. We, we're just going to go as underdogs, and then we're going to surprise people. Okay, yeah, that, that's, uh, yeah, it worked out well in Atlanta for sure. Um, and then the one thing I wanted to mention, um, 
you know, you, you set off to the trials and off to winning. It was a big thing for you to honor this country by representing the U.S. the, the Olympics because that's something, you, you know, to pay back getting citizenship. And I'm wondering, what was the moment you came over here from Kenya for college? What was the moment you knew you wanted to become an American? So, I mean, once I had my green card, um, I actually didn't even think about it for a long time. Um, like, once I had my green card and, you know, it was three years for me to uh, apply for citizenship, I mean, I have a lot of my friends uh, who have green cards and, you know, they don't really, once you have a green card, you could just, you know, if somebody, you're somebody who is working, you could still work and you don't have to do a lot of stuff except you can vote. And so once I had my green card and it had been, uh, it was time, enough time had passed and I had I could qualify to apply for citizenship, you know, for me, like at that point, I was so grateful for what this country had done for me, you know, getting a college education, you know, giving me, um, putting me in a spotlight and in a position where I could inspire other people. I didn't hesitate to get my citizenship because I knew that, you know, uh, doing that and being able to run, you know, like the U.S. championship races and, you know, carrying the U.S. flag and hopefully representing U.S. someday in world championships in the Olympics, you know, I knew that that would be a bigger platform for me to show my appreciation, you know. Um, America is a country uh, where, a country of immigrants, and there have been so many people that have come here and have succeeded and they've represented our country very well, including people like Maple is a, a big role model for me and I definitely wanted to follow suit and you know it was just that moment when it was time to apply for my citizenship and I just knew that I wanted to do it and I remember also like when I was uh, getting sworn in on April 29 of 2016 that moment was very powerful um when we were being sworn in and um the national anthem was sung it was so powerful to me that I cried and every time I am at the start line and the national anthem goes off, it always takes me back to that moment. I always get super emotional. And um, if you look at my interviews uh, post-race, uh, like uh, on, the, on, on, the, uh, on, the, on the replay of the race, you know, like I cried the first time when I saw my teammates, but then the second time that I got really emotional and, and couldn't handle uh, my emotions anymore was uh, when... Uh, Luis uh, was, uh, he had interviewed the three of us, and I believe the last words was, America is very proud, or something along those lines, or, or sending a strong team to focus, something like that. And as soon as he said that, I just, you know, I got super, super emotional. And then um, the other instance was, um, we have, um, we have, we had people, Hawker fans, and people who are working for Hawker that were cheering in a bar in Atlanta. And I watched the, uh, somebody recorded a video, Pamela uh, recorded a video of them, and then they started chanting, you know, my name. And then as soon as I crossed the finish line, they started chanting USA, USA. And as soon as um, I was watching and listening to that chanting USA, I just cried. I, I don't understand. I honestly don't understand why I get so emotional when uh, they talk about that or like when they're talking about representing USA. I, I, I just, I don't know why I get super emotional, but it means a lot to me. It means something to me, and I cannot wait to represent it in the biggest stage of, you know, like the sport of our sport. And 
hopefully I can represent it very well. I think I'm going to be very pleased. Well, that's, I think that's a good note to end on, Alphine. I uh, really appreciate the heartfelt comments there. And uh, it was it was great chatting with you. I appreciate you making time for uh, another podcast with us today. <laughs> I'm sure you've been on a big media tour and probably die down in a few weeks. But, you know, best of luck recovering from Atlanta. And we look forward to watching you out there on the roads again this summer. I, thank you. But I will say one thing. You know, my when you see my success, but what a lot of people have not seen is the times that I've been down, you know, the times where I've been going through injuries and pain, but the people that have been there for me, I'm grateful for. The person that I'm super grateful for, for example, is my agent, you know, my Howie Kafleski with Howie Management. Howie has been there for me, you know, through so many uh, days that I was down on myself. I would call Howie and he would talk to me and he has been there for me as a person, you know, more than I felt. I feel like he cares about me as a human being even more than an athlete, which is what we all, you know, are looking for. Because when you're looking for an agency, and especially in running, running can be very isolating, especially when you're not racing well or when you're injured. And having people like Howie Management, I just want to, sh- you know, shout out to them that and say thank you very much for what they've done, you know, uh, I think they've treated me like I am part of their family. I really do feel like I'm part of Howie's family, not even, not just the Howie management family. And I feel like my teammates, you know, that are part of NZ a little like Rory, uh, feels the same way. And I, I'm just, I'm just at an awe, of, you know, of him. And of course, my coaches, you know, Ben Rosario, Ben Bruce for pissing us and, uh, my family, my partner team, you know, for always being, uh, there for me all these you know, times that I was going through a lot of pain because it's easy when you're doing well. It's really easy. Things are easy, but then it's those hard times that you need people and our sports can be very isolating. So I think for college kids who might be listening to this, my advice and my unsolicited advice is find yourself a manager, an agent who has, you know, who cares about you as a person, not just when you do well. Thank you. All right. Well, with that, we'll we'll sign off. I appreciate the time, Alphine. Good luck in Sapporo. Thank you.